Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM. This is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Ellis, kicking things off for us tonight from their sixth album, Sweet Oblivion, that was Screaming Trees with Nearly Lost You. Uh, playing that because that's one of my all-time favorites from Mark Lanigan, who passed away earlier this week. Um, just a, a bit of a shocking loss. Uh, he died at his home in Ireland uh, at the age of 57. Uh, really just terrible news. Um, also terrible news, uh, this week, anti-trans legislation in Texas and LGBTQ legislation in Florida. Uh, so I'm going to play you something from Laura Jane Grace's latest at war with the silverfish uh, and send it out in, in solidarity with uh, the people affected by these legislation and uh, certainly know that uh, while it hasn't happened here, it certainly can. And so to take the uh, responsibility and opportunity to speak out uh, for trans lives and for queer people, if you have the chance. Uh, we're going to play Long Dark Night, and then coming up after that, uh, it's the last in the Black History Month series, hosted by Don Oliver, uh, former Canadian senator, who uh, recorded these programs at County FM in Prince Edward County, Ontario, uh, comes to us via the uh, Campus Community uh, Radio Exchange. Uh, his guest, on this episode is the Honorable Mayan Francis, who was the 31st Lieutenant Governor of Nova Scotia. Um, so yeah, we're going to get into that. And then after Don Oliver, uh, in the next segment, my interview with Kendra Morris, who I spoke to earlier today about her new album, Nine Lives. We've played a couple tracks in the lead up to the release and uh, the album's out and uh, we're going to get into that. But uh, first, this is Laura Jane Grace with Long Dark Night. Month, my co-host is retired Senator Don Oliver. His guest today is the Honorable Mayanne Francis, 
the 31st Lieutenant Governor of Nova Scotia, who served from 2006 to 2012. Dr. Francis was raised in Whitney Pier, Nova Scotia, and educated in Canada and the United States. She was CEO of the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission and held other senior positions in Ontario and her home province before her appointment. She is also the author of two children's books and a memoir, May Ann Francis, An Honourable Life. She joins us today from Halifax. Over to you, Senator Oliver. Thank you very much, Lynn. Nothing could be more fitting to help us celebrate Black History Month where we showcased our best, particularly our trailblazers like May Ann Francis. May Ann, Lynn and I are delighted that you could find time to join us in our continuing celebration of this month that you have played such a prominent role in, African Heritage Month, Black History Month. But before discussing your views on the pros and cons of African Heritage Month, can you tell us what it was like growing up in Whitney Pier in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia? What was special about that community and how did it influence the rest of your life? Well, first of all, thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm very glad to be here and I'm very honored that you invited me to be on the program with you. I was born, as you know, in um, Cape Breton, Sydney, Whitney Pier. And I always say that it was Whitney Pier including my family, that formed a foundation for my outlook in life. Whitney Pier was a place where the word multiculturalism never existed. But the pier was multicultural. I mean, that's the word I use after I got out and got out of Whitney Pier and got involved in many other things in, in, um, in Canada. And why I say that, because... There were we were immigrants. Uh, my parents were my mom from Antigua, my dad from Cuba. There were West Indians there, most of them from Barbados. And then there was Irish people. There were French people. There were Polish people. There were people from all over the world, and we were all immigrants. So I just assumed that's the way the world was. And um, the growing up there was a place where everybody cared about one another. I'm not saying we were perfect. I don't get me wrong in saying we were perfect. No, but we cared about one another. We weren't wealthy. We were poor. But we always shared with each other. So if somebody was um, making a meal and, uh, and, and they know that someplace somebody else would not have that type of food for for their dinner or their lunch. They took it to them. It was just so so clear what we did for one another. When so even the Polish people and the black people would in in would mix and mingle like that. Yes, and they still do. I mean, the pier is a little bit different now. It's not the way it was when I was growing up. But the Polish people, yes, and in fact. Um, it was them that um, started had a nice launch for me when I brought my my uh, memoir, and it was held at the at the Polish Hall, and it was packed. I mean, it was everybody, and they worked it with with another uh, black person um, who's now deceased, unfortunately. But growing up in the pier was just very interesting. And where my dad was a clergy, he was in close contact with all the other churches. There was Catholic church. There was. There was United Church, there was Jewish synagogues, and my father knew everybody. So it was mm. just one of those type of um, 
places to grow up that you felt good about it. You learned what it's like to be with people who were not West Indians or who were not black. And you just, it just was normal, you know? And as I said, it wasn't perfect, but it was great. We, I just, I just really welcome having grown up there. As we learn from Lynn's uh, introduction, uh, you have done work at the head of the Human Rights Commission. You've studied in, this, in the United States, worked in the United States, and you've done many other things, but you've always done things for youth. And I would like to know from you today, what are some of the greatest needs of youth today? Well, you know, when I wrote my book, I knew that I wanted the book to have inspiration for young people because, yes, I've been successful and I'm very grateful that I've been successful. I thank God for that. And as I get older, I always sort of reach behind and say, I want these young people that come up here. And I do talk to a lot of young folks because I love listening to them. And I think that what we all need to do, those of us who have been successful, whether we're black or or another race, we should really listen to our young people and pave the way for the future for them. Yes, there's going to be challenges, no question about that. But what I tell them is I said, I want you to stay strong and to stay hopeful and recognize that you will be able to be successful regardless of what field you're selecting. And I always like, encourage them to make sure that they, they get an education. Education is the number one on my list. So whether they go to a community college, whether they go to the university, and whether they, they go to an, another school where they're, they're learning different things, I say do the best that you can wherever you go and work very hard on it and just be proud of it. Be proud. And I say, you know what? You never stop learning. You keep learning till the day you leave this earth. And, that, and even me at my age, <laughs> I'm still learning a lot. Uh, Because I think it's great. I I stop and listen to a lot of things. I grab books and read it because I think it's important because it helps me get stronger too. Tell me the years and time that you spent in the United States, what influence did that have on on you, your life, and your future career? You know, I enjoyed my time living in the States because, you know, I have dual citizenship. My parents, they went from, like my dad from from Cuba, that's where his family went to the United States. That's where they immigrated to. And my mother from Antigua to the United States, which is New York City. And when we were children, we were going to New York every second year. And that's my first children's book that talks about that. And I have to tell you that um, I was so in love with the United States, especially New York, because while in New York, I got to see black people in certain roles that I never saw here in Canada. That was encouraging. I met some who were school teachers. I met some who were working in the banks. I was like, oh my gosh, how come we don't have that in Canada? So I I sort of knew that eventually, uh, you know, as I got older and grew up, I would want to live there for a short time. Well, how I ended up living in, in, in um, New York is I was married here in, in Canada, moved to Philadelphia with my husband, then we divorced, and then I went over to New York saying that I would be there only for six months, then I'm going back to Halifax. Well, the six months ended up 16 years. 
And I have to say, uh, my mentors were Americans. And when people hear me say they were American men, most of them were white males. Most of them were Jewish men. There was there were Hispanic men. Some were black. Some were gay. I said they were my mentors. I, and I, I can't hide that. I'm not saying that I did not experience some aspects of racism. I did. But I'm telling you, it was lower level than how I, when I returned here and start receiving, I'm facing it again. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't remember going through all of this in, in New York City. However, working there and educating there was so positive because even when I was doing my master's there, you know, there were other black people in my class. And so it was just, it was just feeling good and safe. And the professors were all wonderful because they even, even recommended me to work at, at the White House, which didn't happen, but I, but I, they did recommend it that. And it was just, it was, you were, I was comfortable, put it that way. I was very, very, very comfortable. And I always liked going to various functions where you would meet high level people. And I always dressed down certain ways, had all these different hairdos. <laughs> It was a place of feeling, I always felt comfortable, and my friends were just wonderful. And I have to say, that is where I learned to be a workaholic, um, because I was paralegal there. I studied to be a paralegal. And my first big job was on Wall Street. And ever since then, I never, ever looked back of being unemployed. And being and working at on Wall Street, that is where I learned to be a workaholic, and then when I went to another larger law, a law firm, I became a workaholic again. So that's just part of my life. And I still am a workaholic at this stage. <laughs> and that's learning that all, all from the States. But I had a good experience there. And I said, I'm not saying that racism didn't happen, but not as much as it did when I moved back home. I mean, we've had uh, George Elliott Clark on, and he mm-hmm. has told us about some blacks who have, have done things and their work is not known. There are a number of black poets and scientists and musicians and composers that we, Canada, just have never heard of. And now they're dead. Their works are just now beginning to come out. And we're learning little bits and pieces about some of these unknown black celebrities. Uh, almost uh, dribble by dribble by dribble. What do you recommend we could do to speed up this process of getting to know the works of mains, getting their works into mainstream and to getting to know who they are? What are some of the things we can do to learn more? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think what's very important is that, first of all, I, I'm glad that he has mentioned this because I'm sure when he names them, I'll say, hmm, I've never heard of them. Who knows, right? But I think what we need to do is be strong about this reach out to media, reach out to our, our, our communities to help put this forward. And now with COVID, start using the Zoom, start getting on online if we can't go face-to-face. And I would also say that we need to start doing something to put it in education so that our, our students, our, our youth, people who are in school and university are, are aware of this. So there needs to be 
discussions about it, have the people perform, have, have us get up and, and, and talk about this all the time. I think it's so important. And these are perfect, perfect examples of how systemic discrimination has, has really evolved and still there. People don't want to say it isn't, but no, we kept things away. And there's so many talents that I'm sure that we have, the door has been closed to. But now is the time with George Floyd's murder in 2020 and the effects of COVID-19 on people of color. All of this has really brought to light, oh my gosh, we do have problems. Yes, you do. And all these people who who are talented, we need to make sure they're out front. Telling you, if I know anybody who hasn't, who who is, who's done great work and, and, and we don't know anything about them, I would do what I can individually try to say, okay, you know, I'm going to introduce you to so-and-so, you know, that type of thing. And I think that's important. So not only as a group, but as individuals, let's bring them forward. And I think that's important because that would be great. I'm grateful for my success. So now I'm going to help other people. See what I mean? Let me move on from that and just tell you, man, that one month of the year is frankly not enough time to showcase our enormous contribution to Canadian life. When you listen to the radio and watch global CTV, CBC, etc. on television, we always see a lot of musicians, dance, poetry, fashion, design, and so on. But I think that out of proportion to the contribution that people like our black athletes, our black hockey players, baseball players, basketball players, soccer players, and tennis players have made, along with our scientists, along with our educators, and so on. Uh, What do you think would happen if we have February as Black History Month, but somehow we could get one week out of every other month of the year highlighting one of these specialties that we don't spend enough time on, in my view, such as sports, such as medicine, education, science, and so on. Do you think that might work, say that the month of March could be the month of black excellence in sports? I agree. I I think the month of March could be a black excellence in, could even be in science. You know, you can just sort of look at from year to year, okay, what are we going to do for March of 2022? What are we going to do for March of 2023? And that could focus on, yes, it could be athletes. It could be on actors. It could be science. It could be writers, it could be poeters, it could be so much. Because this is important for us because we need to let people see that we have the talents to do, talents and intelligence to do many things. It's not just, there's nothing wrong with being a lawyer, there's nothing wrong with being a politician, none of those things, but we can get into science too. In fact, I'm going to be speaking at a closing conference that's going to be focused on Black science. And I was just thrilled when I was asked to speak on this, but it took me a while to learn how, how, what am I going to write about? You know, but anyway, it was great because I think that is so important and and glad to do it and get to say my feelings about all of that. But I agree with you a hundred percent, but I would even say, why can't we do it every month? Something like Mm -hmm. that. Why can't you, why can't it be a special week every month? Because There's so much, and it's never going to end. You have young people who are like 13 years old. She started at 13 writing poems. 
Oh, I know. Yeah. So you know what? We should know all about her. You know, the meaning, yeah. that's her name. I just think that's important. Of, of all the things that do go on in Black History Month, are there any things you would like to change or are there any things you would like to add? Or how do you think we could showcase excellence more than we do during African Heritage Month in Canada today? I would like to see maybe several days just devoted to young people. Let them run the show. Let they, I just think that they, I would love to see that because there's so much talent with a lot of people who are 16 years old and younger or 16 to 19 years old. I would like to see them focused just to have something with them on. And I would also like to see time, and I think that's happening too, um, seniors, senior citizens. So let, let them talk. Let them, let them have a discussion about what it was like for them and what yeah. they want to do now. So, you know, so That's there's all sorts of creativity that we could be looking at. We do good things now, and I think some of them are doing that now too, right? But I would love to see young people do a whole week. They're all That's free. a great suggestion. Mayanne, I just want to say thank you very, very much once again for agreeing to come on this show with Lynn and I and to tell us a little bit about your life, your career, and uh, your experience and your contribution to Black History Month, which is so important to the uplifting our our people. So, thank you and and uh, and all the best. Thank you, thank you very much.
Before the break, you heard Layla McCullough with Vinnie Way from Breaking the Thermometer. That's an album that's due out later this year. Uh, she released Very Colored Songs, a tribute to Langston Hughes on Smithsonian Folkways last year. We played a little bit of that when it dropped. Uh, excited to hear more from Layla McCullough. Uh, someone else I'm excited to hear more from, Delvin Lamar Organ Trio. Uh, they dropped the album Cold as Weiss last month and uh, followed it up with a brand new single called fried soul that uh, is coming out at a seven inch on coal mine uh coal mine is the uh sort of parent label for uh, our guest and her new album uh so karma chief is a subsidiary uh kendra morris's nine lives is out on karma chief and so after this delvin lamar organ trio cut we're going to be talking to kendra morris an interview i recorded earlier today keep it locked here on 101.5 umfm Oh, 
All right. Well, her latest record is called Nine Lives, coming out on Karma Chief. And uh, we've featured some tracks on it uh, in, the, in the lead up to the release, but I'm really excited to have Kendra Morris on to talk about it. Welcome to the show, Kendra. Hey, thanks for having me. So I was looking back at uh, playlists in May of 2012, so almost 10 years ago, I played If You Didn't Go. Uh, about a few months before Banshee actually came out, I guess it was like the lead single uh, back in the day. And you took a break from albums and focused on singles for, for a good stretch in the last yeah. 10 years. Was that uh, like necessity, like in terms of like trying to get stuff out quicker or like? I mean, I was after Banshee and Mockingbird, Wax Poetics as a label didn't exist really anymore. So I was yeah. kind of floating around for a minute and as an independent artist, you know, and always trying to like the music industry is for independent artists, it's always changing. And like, it was trying to figure out how to navigate, like, cause me and, and Jeremy who did nine lives with me, we continued to write and record this whole time. I never stopped working. Like I never took a per se break. I've never taken a break in my life because like, I love what I, I've never felt like I'm, that's not some, that's not a language for me. Mm -hmm. um so I kept we kept recording and then it was just like well let's just you know it was like well let's put these out so we can continue to you know because I I didn't know if I I was like kind of overwhelmed with like well, what do I I don't have a label right now what's the best way to put out a, a record because I knew how much work went into Banshee and Mockingbird um and I guess I was we were just like let's just keep putting these out and figure out what we're going to do. And it seemed like maybe that was the move at the time. But now looking back, I think, I think I will just put out records. I like, I like, I think that's the way I, I like working better. I like to just always be giving people music, but it, I noticed it was hard. Like a lot of people missed some of those singles or didn't like some of them flew under the radar um, and with a full length album and also having the support of, the right label because a lot of people think oh if I get signed it's gonna just change everything for me but you know it really depends on teaming up with the right team of people who are gonna understand you understand know how to like be a team together and that's like a lot of um and then I put out Babel and that was like an EP and I independently released that and that was kind of that was tough too but um yeah you mentioned, you know, the right label. So you ended up with Karma Chief, which is a coal mine subsidiary. How did that come about? And like, what led you them to them? Um, it was weird. I did a cold email to Terry, um, but I had been following kind of some of the stuff they had been putting out. And I just really, I remember a friend of mine had been talking them up and I started looking into them and I was like, wow, this is, this stuff is great. Like there's this, this, they, and they were, you know, just a small team and I just it really was like this cold email to Terry and I just said hey I'm Kendra uh I, I used to be on Wax Poetics um these are I've been working on music I'd love to like I don't know if you're you know looking to ever you know put stuff out you know if you'd ever be interested but here's some of my stuff and his name had come up in numerous conversations with other other people over the years so I you know had been kind of just following along and it just I don't know sometimes I get these in these things where some days I'll just suddenly have like a 
a little a trigger of ideas all at once. Like I want to message this person. Or I'm going to call this person. And so I always, if I get something in my head, I, I got it. Sorry, there's like bird, a lot of birds out here. Sure. If I get it in my head, I got to do it like right then. Otherwise, I don't want to like. I feel like maybe there's a reason for why I suddenly. And I feel like with that email to Terry, it was like I just was in front of my computer and I was like, I'm just going to email him. And then he got back to me right away. Like, and he was. Uh, I remember we kind of talked and he really liked the song, this life. And he's like, let's put that song out. And then we talked, we got on the phone one day and I think like we never got off the phone. We talked, we just kept talking and talking and he was the easiest person to talk to just such a like, kind, excited, positive person. And I was like, this is the kind of person I want to work with. And hopefully this kind of person wants to work with me. But we were, I was really inspired by his conversations and his ideas and his passions. And like, for me, those are no brainers when you work with people. Cause I've definitely been in rooms with people before in music or yeah, just in the industry who are freaking clueless. Like they just, they aren't even thinking about music but they're thinking of a number or thinking of fitting you into this little like like it's all about like how is this marketed and how is this like it's kind of sad like it's usually just someone cool like that doesn't even really like music sometimes and that's terry loves music and that's like i think why his label is his labels are doing so well because he's so passionate about music he's a musician himself he knows he has a he knows his taste and when you know what when you know what you want and what you love whatever you put out you can't be wrong about because you're staying true to yourself and so I think the people that love coal mine and karma chief are people that also like they're record collectors they're people that love soul music they're people that love you know like just good rock and roll they're people that just like like to you know Terry has like an amazing record store below his label or you can go and find any you know any record um and I think that's why his label is great because he's he want he's not trying to find the next big thing. He's just trying to put out good music, and he has a great team doing that with him. And he's signing people that he that he that he likes that he gets along with too. Not not jerks, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you know what like emailing him you, when you get something in your head you kind of just got to do it. Is that songwriting for you? Is that your process? Like, like if you get a, an idea for a song or like the kind of kernel of an idea that you have to kind of just like drop everything and pursue it? Or is that? Yeah, some, I mean, definitely sometimes it's, I mean, songwriting for me has never been one certain way. Like there's, I, and I try to not ever do it one certain way. Like with the stuff that I've done with Jeremy, when we co-write, it's usually like I go to his studio and I carry these big notebooks with me everywhere. And we'll start with like a nugget to a song. Maybe it'll be something he's got in his head, just a few chords. Or maybe, you know, sometimes I'll be like, I heard this. But a lot of time he'll be like, he'll start tinkering. And then I'll be like, wait, that. And then it's, you know, I have to just, I'll hear some a melody right then. And luckily, since his studio, it's got the little sound booth right there. Everything's right there. So I can say, oh, I'm ready to go in. And I'll go in the sound booth and just lay out, start building my melody right there or I'll sing it into my phone real quick. And then like, I'll run to the sound booth and start the idea. And then it's like, I call it like our ping pong effect because then that'll inspire him. 
where the next sounds are going to go or like a progression or sometimes we'll like work together on like maybe the chords need to be more you know major or my like just it kind of feels its way out so we go back and forth like me running in the sound booth layering the vocals because I do I love vocal arrangements I do all that stuff um I'm a nerd about harmonies and just the importance of them and uh so we'll just go back and forth and sometimes we'll have a song in a day sometimes we have to really like work at it but then sometimes there's times where I'll I you know I play guitar at home a lot for writing um and sometimes I'll do like solo shows um I'm no like amazing guitarist but I do love playing and I do have my own like my own you know I can accompany myself if I you know um, but when I write on guitar, it's usually like at home in my living room or somewhere. And I'll just hear a couple chords and a melody in my head. And yeah, I have to, if it's right there, it's like, I got to just go with it right then. Not worry about the lyrics yet. Cause sometimes the lyrics just come to you the way that they're, they come out. Like I never try to force a lyric. I think it's important to just wait for it to come to you. So if I get stuck on something, I just say, okay, I'll, I'll, re I'll revisit this tonight or tomorrow because your inspiration might come. The rest of the inspiration for that song might hit you somewhere. It might be on the train or it might be a conversation with someone. And then suddenly it's like, oh, that's the line. And so I always have these notebooks. So I have to like jot that in the notebook and go back and revisit it and remember like oh that was the line like I remember I wrote a song like years ago like it was just a song that I had released myself but like I remember coming the one of the lines is like I'll be your ashtray and I remember sitting in a bar just thinking like about how wanting some like sometimes you'll be the garbage you just want to like when you like someone when you want someone so bad you'll be like you'll be their ashtray. You'll be like whatever the crappiest thing just to be a part of that person's life. And I remember thinking of that. I was in this, you know, dive bar in East Village. Um, I don't know if like what, how it came about, but suddenly I just remember being like, that's a great line. And I remember having to, you know, this was like over 10 years ago, having to jot it down and go write it into the song that night. Mm -hmm. so. You mentioned, you know, writing on, on guitar at home, I read an interview you did with American songwriter where you said you like on a few songs on nine lives, you, you tried writing with different instruments. Like you found a keyboard under, under a desk uh, or your bed or something and kind of. Yeah. Tried... That wasn't so much for these. I think that was just a little bit mixed in the, in the interview. Okay. Um, I do have a keyboard under my house, my, under my couch. And for writing, I think it's important to constantly switch up your instrument because you don't know what's going to, for Nine Lives, that album itself was all co-writes with Jeremy. Like okay. that was all doing the ping pong in the studio. But I have a num like I have so many other songs and I really want to actually release them one day, find the right way. I think if I when I release them, there'll be something totally different and I want to figure out the right way to produce them because I one thing I'm a really big fan of is in imperfection like I love messy stuff I love things that and like some of my favorite songs and singers from like the past are when the vocals haven't you know you can hear like a singer's voice crack maybe not hit the note quite but you can hear them trying so hard to get to that note mm -hmm. but it's more about the the way you put your song out so I think one day I'll put out those songs um and 
possibly, you know, maybe I'll, you know, use all those instruments and it'll be something underproduced. But it's also scary as an artist when people, like people really come to know my, like, know I have a specific sound because I've, you know, I always, I try to just, I know, you know, my influences and also with like the partnerships I've developed. So sometimes it gets scary when you put something totally different out and you're like, well, some people might not accept this because it's not, you know, the way that they have ever heard it, heard me. But I do think it's important. Like artists have so many sides to them. Like, I don't think there's one artist in the world that's just like a flat, you know, one, one, it's not a one size fits all. Like everybody has so many dimensions. Right. Um, now you mentioned so obviously these were all the ping pong songs with with jeremy like did you when you were writing them like have a sense like these are the songs that fit together or it was because it was like a product of that collaborative period over like just um, a, a short amount of time or i think it was a little bit of both because there's like a certain there's specific songs on that record that the there are some of them are more recent um they all really were from like it was weird because the album originally wasn't going to be called nine lives it was a different name and that name didn't work out and then it was like i was looking at nine lives and i was like oh my gosh this album is nine lives because i really did write it through like all those songs are specific to exact certain things i've gone through and some sometimes currently go you know things and there's like I was talking with someone in an interview. We, I don't know how we came up with it, if it was the interviewer, but it was about, she's like, these are like, did some of them come to you in a flurry? And I was like, yes, they totally did. There was like a group of them where I was just, I think it's around like, it's like who we are, keep walking, penny pincher, like these songs, like those songs are so vulnerable and almost so scary to reveal because like, those songs were like direct things that I've been in and it's and I know that like there's it's just it's important to be honest in your music though because I know that the things that I've been in are not only to me like everybody goes and it has been in those moments like Penny Pincher was like I remember being in the vocal booth for that and that was one where I wrote it at home too like I had to take that one and really work through the lines of that song because i like i needed to exactly write down where i was because i was feeling really awful at the time like it was a period of time where i was just really going through some great like some really hard stuff and so it was my i didn't know at that time it wasn't like we're writing this for an album called nine Live. no i was just writing to to function like to personally function in my life because that's what I do like I don't I'm not you know I don't have you know I don't, I don't go to therapy like maybe I should but like for me like it's always been like carry that notebook and put put what I'm going through so I remember I was like I have to get these words out because I have no one to talk to them I don't have anyone to talk to about this I'm in this like merry-go-round of these emotions and I don't know how to get out of it so I'm just gonna write it and I remember when we laid down the vocals, I kept going back in the vocal booth for the final chorus of the song because I was like, I have to sing it 
I don't want to sing it good. I want to sing it true. I want to sing where I'm at. And like, I would go back in and I just had to go capture that feeling because that to me that's more important in a song than singing that's always been what I love about music not a melodyne or like the perfection of vocal but the, the truth in a vocal and so I just remember like and it was same with drag on I had to do that that ending chorus I think I spent three different sessions going back and be like it's still not there it's not there it's not that vocal's not like it's not there and it's not and I think when I finally got out it's not a perfect vocal like not at all like I think I I think someone else could probably sing it a lot better than me but I think it that those vocals on that song were very honest and for someone to go and do that they're gonna need to go and be in those feelings too so writing those feelings out then performing them after you've released the record do you have to like kind of go back to that headspace or is it like freeing or cathartic to kind of like have written it out and put it out there? Um, a little bit of both. Cause actually with Banshee, there was a lot of stuff. I, I remember like the song, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I feel embarrassed. I can't even think of the name. I'm having a brain fart cause I've been so in nine lives, but there's, you know, I think, some a lot of times I do like to go back to it on stage because I really like connecting but also sometimes you know going back and singing something and I might be removed from that emotion because hopefully when you write about sad things hopefully you work through them and you can get to the other side but it's I do like feel like it's good to go back into them because I feel like music is a reminder of a place that in time um so yeah, usually I do go back into it. Um, and I do find myself sometimes like choking up, but sometimes it's also watching a song translate to other people. And then I choke up or think that that's so special because that's where music is magic when you can, oh my gosh, these birds are so loud. <laughs> uh, that's where I think music is, is mad and art is magic that you can, take something from your own head put it down and it translates to someone else who needs that and goes oh that's me right now and I'm there and then it helps them work through that you know because not everybody I do feel like everybody has a gift the key is like finding it that's the tricky thing um I think though that whatever this universe we're on or higher power or whatever like I think everybody gets a get something it's just finding it and like that's you know and I think though maybe not everyone has the gift of maybe writing a song maybe their gift is something else but everybody you know needs to needs a song sometimes or sometimes you just don't know the feeling and you need to hear it in a song and you go that's me and then that's how you can just work, work your way out of it and that's when I get you know feel the even though I went through something that really stunk like it's nice. Like someone messaged me about Penny Pincher recently. He was just like, I'm going through that right now. I'm like in that. And I like cried and thank you. And I was like, that's what it's there for. You know, I've been there too. It's so many, I mean, so many groups of, you know, what you hear about when people like with like struggles, like the thing that this beyond, you know, so many things, the thing that has like stayed true with helping humans is humans connecting with humans like beyond anything it's just personal connections and realizing we're not alone 
has there been a song like that for you like something that you were in a in a dark place and a song showed you some light um i right off the top of my head i i'm sure there hat like has like definitely like pet sounds was the record that I've, i don't know how many times i've listened to that record but that mm. album i could just like close my eyes and that album takes me like everywhere that i need to um but uh i do remember and actually it's a it's a now I'm, I'm having so many brain farts can i i'm so bad at like thinking of things off the top of my head can i come back to this question because i want to answer it yeah like I don't want to just be like, oh, this, but I'd say Pet Sounds is a record, though. Sure, that yeah. Album, you know? Yeah, it doesn't have to just be one song. It could be a whole album, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the but, thing. Yeah. The the like now that Nine Lives is out there, are you are you getting feedback in terms of like, you know, oh, happy to have you doing albums again? Like, is that something like people? are expressing after you know some singles and and just kind of like one-offs is is it is it how is it greeted in the current kind of climate it's actually like over been overwhelmingly in a good way like greeted as a record and i remember people like for years i'd you know go on and do some online live thing or i'd post something and it always be there'd always be at least one or two comments saying when's the next record when's the next record and i was always like well but I have these songs, you know, but it was always, when's the next record? And now I put out the record and I remember even doing an interview um, with a really nice gentleman in the UK. And he said, man, like, I only want albums from you. He's like, he's like, he's like, I like the whole thing. Cause it all like makes sense. It's like your, your story. He's like, all the songs go, he's like, I only want you to do albums. And I was like, you know, I think maybe I will. I think that's maybe that he's like, I, he just, kind of put it like he's like I love your storytelling and my parents as a kid used to always tell me you're gonna you should they always encourage me to write stories and tell stories and I think I do tell that through my songs that's what's so fun about writing is that you can just weave all kinds of stories and um, build things and I it's been overwhelming how many people have appreciated a full album and I think I've appreciated it too. The the last month I was really like deal like had I didn't even realize how much anxious I was to put this out because I it was like a full body of work and I was just like, how's it gonna be taken? Like what if people hate it? What if, you know, like I I it was just or I was feeling like I'm telling all my secrets to a lot of people, you know? It was just all this this buildup. And I even said to one of my good friends, I was like, I forgot how hard it is to put out a record, all the emotion, like knowing people are listening to not one of your songs and then forgetting about it and going to whatever other song, but a whole record so they can go into your your world for 40 minutes, you know? But I think it's it's been it's been great. And also I forget that with a record, it's just people tend to, they just tend to, uh, like open up to you longer. I feel like we're in a time where everything's like flip of the channel. Not we don't even flip channels anymore, but we forget. Like go on our phones and forget about something in like two minutes. You're onto something else. So if you're just putting out singles now, this day and age, I feel like it runs the risk of you just forget about it and on to the next thing. So with a record, you at least get forty minutes. <laughs> 
Right. And if someone, you know, is not, ha- you know, when you put out a single, if someone kind of like rejects it or just dismisses it, it's like, oh, well, you know, I've got other songs. They'll, they'll find that one. You know, maybe it was just this one, but if you put out a full album, you kind of want them to sit with it and like, experience yeah. the whole thing. Right. Like, yeah. And even the way we wind up, we really, me, Jeremy and my manager and Terry, we all went through those songs and we really spent a lot of time figuring out the sequence, you know, because it's important for vinyl also. Mm-hmm. Vinyl, if you listen to side A, you take that in. Maybe you listen to side A again, you flip it. And just, but it, the sequence of an album is really important. Like that's something important to how music has been meant to, you know, in the last, you know, 50 years, that was the way it was supposed to be listened to not like so we we really sequenced it like how we felt that the song you know and it's <laughs> yeah the uh, sequencing i mean you were talking about storytelling being important right like like it's the chapters right like you know yeah. you wouldn't put chapters out of out of order in a book no totally and yeah and i also when we when we set up like when we're doing a show and thinking of the way to set up the way the show goes you kind of want it to like uh, ebb and flow because you want your listeners to come in be like you want to bring your listener to another world like when you go to a show it's to kind of it's for your brain to kind of just you know go where it needs to go so you want it you know to ebb and flow you don't want all your intense well maybe some shows people go for all intense songs but i like a show where like i'm brought in goes down goes way up and then brings it down and you know and it's the same with record right so uh before i let you go i want to get you to pick a track off nine lives we can play for listeners if you have a reason why you're picking that song in particular or an anecdote about the song i'd love to hear that i know we just talked about listening to the album in its entirety but for for this purpose yeah. i think it's funny because like i'm i've been really like proud of this record because i'm really like loving all the songs off it and I know sometimes people you put out a record and you're like I like this one but I'm not this one and I'm like I can listen to it I'm like you know I I sat in my parents living room after everyone was asleep the other night just put on my headphones it was like the day after it came out and I had to re-listen to everything close my eyes and kind of um but I think right now the song that I feel just kind of encompasses a lot of things and I love it sonically too it, it it's a little bit of everything it's dry i'm gonna say is the one mm. um and i picked that one because i love like for like m- musically what i love is like the all there's so many vocals going on i remember it was really tricky arranging all those vocals there's like rounds and there's splits into harmonies and then also the instrumentation I love, like this guy Morgan Price um, on the saxophone brought this really cool uh, solo and a breakdown. And it's just three, it's not a typical song. It doesn't go first course. It has like, I don't even know what the parts are, but they somehow it like all work together. And the song really goes to different places, but also like lyrically and storytelling wise, it, it makes, it's been making sense to where I'm at in my life right now. Mm-hmm with just it's you know um I just it it's just about kind of I've always kind of been had my habits and I think it's just about it's the term dry is just about you know when you're 
when you're trying to get through something and you're you're trying all the different ways you can can do it and it's just like scratching an itch but also i guess it's it's it was written in different you know it's it's kind of like a song within a song with the meaning but uh, some of it is also about like um like 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 drinking like it's a lot about drinking and like the fun of drinking but also where it can you know just always not necessarily drinking but like searching for something and trying to find like how do I fill this what's going to be the thing that fills this feeling I'm in like how do I you know what and it's just it's really like a, a question of like a song about searching right uh, and I feel like I, I you know I'm always searching like where what's next how do I get from a to b um so I would just say dry. And I'll stop rambling about it. Perfect. Well, yeah, no, that's a, it's a great choice. I mean, there's, there's no bad choices off the record. So. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Kendra, it's a pleasure to get to talk to you and, uh, and congrats on, uh, on nine lives. Thank you. It was really nice talking to you too.
Holy 
slept with Mary Mary I can't hold my sins And it's a cold city I burn right in it lying The streets is hot up in the cold city Cold city When say them is activated Wow This man daps and props when we come Wow When Wow When On the run to we street from cops up in the cold city, cold city. The streets crowded up in the